In the Siyum liturgy, we thank God for the privilege of being a Jew, and we pray, and here is a translation of the Hebrew, that the Torah should not depart from my mouth and the mouth of my children and of my children's children from now until forever. So we stood there at the grave of my grandfather's grandfather and prayed for the future of my children's children. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 129, The Defeat of Death. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. It was around the end of Passover 2019 that I saw the following shocking headline in the New York Times. Belarus building site yields the bones of 1,214 Holocaust victims. The article continued, quote, Brest, Belarus. Tatiana Lakai, a cheerful fitness instructor in the Belarus city of Brest, returned to her apartment after a morning exercise class when she glanced out a window and came face to face with the horrors of the Holocaust. My God, what is going on? Something is obviously not right. Mrs. Lakay, 26, recalled thinking as she watched a ghoulish spectacle unfold on the building site below. Instead of the construction workers who for weeks had been preparing the foundations for a new luxury apartment project, soldiers in masks and gloves were pulling human skeletons from the earth. So many bones were coming out of the ground, she said. It was immediately clear this was no ordinary crime scene. In the three months since that day, the ground next to Ms. Lakai's building has yielded the bones of 1,214 people. Most are believed to be the remains of Jews slaughtered by the Nazis after Hitler invaded the Soviet Union in June 1941. End quote. And the article later adds that, quote, by the time the Soviet army reconquered Brest in 1944, only a handful of Jews remained. One of them was Menachem Begin, a future Israeli prime minister who had survived because he was arrested by Stalin's secret police before the Nazi invasion and sent to a Soviet prison camp. None of the few hundred Jews living in Brest today lived there before the war. End quote. While the article's substance should strike at the soul of any Jew, it had particular relevance to me for two reasons. First, this city, Brest, was known in Yiddish to Jews as Brisk. And, as I've previously mentioned, the city's Jewish community had been led for many, many decades by members of the Soloveitchik family. My roots lay in this place, in the earth in which the bones of my murdered brethren had been found. The second reason the article had a hold on my consciousness was because Brest, Brisk, was exactly where I was going after Passover, thanks to a wonderful friend who had arranged a trip for me to visit the city with which my family was so affiliated. In the end, the trip, one of the most meaningful of my life, was one in which I came face to face with the specter of death, but also with the way that Judaism has spoken of and maintained its faith in the future advent of eternal life. We have seen thus far many far-reaching eschatological announcements of Isaiah. The prophet speaks not only of the salvation of Israel, but of an ultimate age of peace on earth, swords into plowshares, the wolf lying with the lamb. But in the next chapters, the prophet goes beyond that and begins to speak of the defeat of death itself. Chapter 25, verse 7. Here, I'm drawing on the translation of the current Jerusalem Bible with my own emendations. Speaking of God, Isaiah tells us, And he will destroy in this mountain the covering that is cast over all the people, and the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will destroy death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the insult of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. And it shall be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him that he should save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. He will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. What does this mean? As Rabbi Yigal Ariel points out, 
Later, toward the end of the biblical book, in another vision of redemption, in chapter 65, Isaiah speaks of a world where no one dies young, where everyone lives long, but where mortality nevertheless seems to still exist. Thus Isaiah says there in verse 20, There shall be no more there an infant who lives a few days, nor an old man that has not filled his days, for the youngest shall die a hundred years old. Here, however, in chapter 25, Isaiah seems to speak of the end of death itself. Indeed, in chapter 26, Isaiah strikes this theme again, verse 19. Thy dead shall live, my carcass shall arise. Awake and sing, you that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew on herbs, and the earth shall cast out the shades of the dead. So which is it? An age of redemption and the blessing of normal long-lived life, or a deathless supernatural state of affairs? The answer, as Rabbi Ariel further argues, is both. Jewish doctrine speaks of both ages. We describe a moment when redemption is achieved on earth through a Messiah, a restoration of the Davidic dynasty. But we also proclaim a coming resurrection. As the traditional song Yigdal, which describes Jewish doctrine, concludes, The dead will God bring back to life with his loyal love. May his praise name be blessed forever. And when we think about it, we realize that perhaps the two different versions of Kaddish that mourners recite following the death of a loved one may reflect these two stages. The standard Kaddish recited in synagogue does not mention the end of death. Indeed, it does not mention death at all. Instead, what is prayed for is the manifestation of God's redemption on earth. Glorified and sanctified be his great name in a world created according to his will, where his kingship shall reign. And then in the Sephardic liturgy, another phrase is added. And may his redemption flourish and his Messiah come near. We speak, in other words, of the Messianic redemption. But then there is another Kaddish, one recited by mourners at the grave, right after they have buried one that they have lost, when they have just come face to face with death. At that point, what is said in the Kaddish begins differently. Death is mentioned, and it is the end of death that is stressed. Glorified and sanctified be his great name, in the world which he will create anew, where he will revive the dead, and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and to establish his temple therein. Here, what is described is the world not only created according to God's will, but the world created anew, a world in which the dead are resurrected. This is what is said immediately after burial, and it was this Kaddish that I recited in Brisk upon my arrival to Belarus. I was taken to a chamber where the bones of my brethren were being kept before burial. Bones and bones of Brisk Jews, bones of fathers and bones of mothers found still clutching the bones of their children. I stood next to the closed chamber. And I said that Kaddish. It seemed a hopeless moment. And yet, as Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik has noted, it is this Kaddish of the grave, which embodies the moment in which we as Jews transform, quote, despair into intelligent sadness and self-negation into self-affirmation, end quote. What he means is that we highlight the fact that the encounter with death does not impact our faith, our determination, our drive to perpetuate Judaism into the future. Here is how he further put it, quote, Through the Kaddish, we hurl defiance at death and its fiendish conspiracy against man. When the mourner recites glorified and sanctified be the great name, 
he declares, no matter how powerful death is, notwithstanding the ugly end of man, however terrifying the grave is, however nonsensical and absurd everything appears, no matter how black one's despair is and how nauseating and a fear life is, we declare and profess publicly and solemnly that we are not giving up, that we are not surrendering, end quote. And he adds that the burial Kaddish highlights how we as Jews, quote, will not be satisfied with less than the full realization of the ultimate goal, the establishment of God's kingdom, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal life for man, end quote. I thought about the statement from Rabbi Soloveitchik after we left and journeyed to Warsaw and visited the vast Jewish cemetery there. In Warsaw lies buried Rabbi Chaim of Brisk, my great-great-grandfather, as well as that of another ancestor of mine, right next to his grave, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. Along for the trip with me was my wife and two of our sons, and we walked as a family toward the tomb. As I described in my article and commentary titled The Bones of Brisk, in advance of the trip I had studied parts of the Talmud with my children so that they and I could perform the liturgy known as the Siyum, the celebration of the completion of a Talmudic tractate. In the Siyum liturgy, we thank God for the privilege of being a Jew, and we pray, and here is a translation of the Hebrew, that the Torah should not depart from my mouth and the mouth of my children and of my children's children from now until forever. So we stood there at the grave of my grandfather's grandfather and prayed for the future of my children's children. And suddenly a new resonance emerged. The Kaddish that invokes the resurrection, known as the Kaddish Di Tchadata, the renewal Kaddish, is recited at only two moments in Jewish life, at the burial of the dead and at the recital of a siyum. And thus we recited this Kaddish, glorified and sanctified be his great name, in the world which he will create anew, where he will revive the dead, in our lifetime speedily and soon, and let us say Amen. That is what we recited, that we conclude the study of a certain amount of Torah with a similar Kaddish to that which is recited at a burial, that we conclude a Talmudic tractate by describing the defeat of death, signifies perhaps that in the teaching and the transmission of the Torah, we discover the immortality of the Jewish people. Another way of putting this is that the passing of the Torah from generation to generation, the mysterious eternity of the Jews that is bound up in the Torah, is itself an intimation of eternity and is therefore a hint to the ultimate end of death that is yet to come. Immediately after his description of resurrection, Isaiah promises that evildoers will also, in the end of times, receive just punishment. And his words are particularly powerful when we think of the bones of my brethren in Brisk. Verse 21, For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. We do not know, ladies and gentlemen, how all this will be accomplished, how God will punish the wicked how the wondrous events of redemption and resurrection will occur. But the very fact of our own eternity, the miracle that is the endurance of the Jewish people, sustains our faith. The theologian Michael Wishagrad, who experienced Kristallnacht as a child and just barely escaped the horror of the Holocaust, once wrote an essay in response to a modern Jewish theologian who had insisted that constant faith after the Holocaust is impossible, that only moments of belief are possible. Michael wrote in response that in his opinion, the opposite is true, that it is only the enduring faith made manifest by Abraham that allows the Jews to truly continue after the horrors of the Holocaust. He put it this way, quote, Recently I attended the wedding of the daughter of a Warsaw Ghetto survivor to the son of another survivor. The blessings spoke of the creation of man in the image of God, of the joy of the childless woman whom God has made fertile and whose sons are gathered about her, and of the joyous sounds of grooms and brides in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. 
There was great joy at that wedding. There was, of course, also the sense of absence of all those who should have been there but were not. They were not forgotten by any means, but the redeeming God of Israel was also not forgotten. If, after the Holocaust, we have children who in turn beget children, if we can smile and laugh at jokes and satisfy our normal human appetites, if, in short, we have not gone mad, it is because we trust in the God of our fathers. He will reward those who have perished and punish those who have committed the evil. He watches over this nation even when it does not seem so. We believe this fairly steadily, and not only for moments. End quote. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik has stated that the burial Kaddish, declaring our belief in the end of death, embodies, for Jews, the negation of despair. In the end, that is what Judaism itself is, the negation of despair. And so, we will continue to have faith in Isaiah's vision as members of an eternal people that cannot die, who ourselves in our history hint to and proudly proclaim the ultimate defeat of death forevermore. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.